Lester Cook. Hi, sir. How are you? Not bad. This is Jay Michaels. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Thank you. <laughs> How is everything? Everything is good. Taking his taking theater online is interesting. You try to do directing one online, directing two online. Because I'm a theater major at CCNY, so everything's been moved to Zoom. Right. From right from from playwriting to to directing two and trying to do that online in Zoom. Interesting because we didn't even get a chance because we usually have to do a one act play. That's our final project. It's like a ten minute one act where you have to do the whole thing as the director, the concept, design, the whole bit. And all of a sudden we couldn't do auditions. No auditions. So we're using literally each other. Our professors split us up into groups of three and four. And that's how we're all doing our final projects. How does that change your style? How does that change? Now, as much as you're learning, so to, to say a style necessarily, you're still formulating that, but, but how does that change at least your intention? What, was, how, what, what did you have to do? Well, in my case, um, there's a play called uh, Hitting on Women 101 by Bruce Kane. Mm -hmm. And when I originally set it up, I set it to like the late 1970s to mid-1980s, just before we really realized how bad the AIDS crisis is. And so when I got my concept together, I kind of sort of rewrote the play a little bit to suit it to two gay men. Well, mm -hmm. I don't have two gay men anymore. <laughs> and I made sure that I had one very, like, young Brooklyn, you know, male character of that of that Italian era, you know, when they wore their age strap and they wore their leather jackets and their leather pants and this and that, very Glenn of the village people mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I can't do that now. <laughs> So, so what has it taught you about change? Because I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you because you, you are, you are the master of change, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, uh, what has it done in terms of, of, of your, your concept of change? It's made me realize just how much, while some theater can be taught online effectively, some theater just cannot. Hmm. There, there is no way you can do a speech for the stage class. Online, because when you go to workshop a speech, let's say you're doing a monologue and you've got to now push against somebody so you can get the bottom of your breath, the bottom of your range to, to get in touch with that emotion. There's nobody to push on this and there's so much, so much pushing against the wall can do because the wall isn't going to give you the feedback. The wall isn't going to look back at you. It's the person with whom you're working that you're talking to. When you're doing that pushback and you're taking that stance, they're getting the they're getting it whether or not they feel it. That's a very different scenario than pushing on the wall when I'm rehearsing. So, so you're you're a proponent of there's a, there's a kind of art that that must be tangible, and that's it. You can't you can't find a substitute for it. No, no, you can't. I mean, that's why I think directing is also one of those. I mean. I can do a lot online with actors, but to not have them have their energy to feed off of one another or an energy to feed off the audience, it makes it much more difficult. I, I've, I've been speaking to a lot of people, and uh, 
and and I get comments ranging from, well, this is a great new art, and we're going to have a good time with it, to please, please, let's get back to the old ways. So you, you seem to be... Uh, God to my department chairman, Rob Barron, who says, remember, we're at intermission. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, now let's talk about you. Uh, you're in a second act. When we talk about change, I think you're the master of that. Why, thank you. You want to you wanna share a couple of details? Well, I was born anatomically female. I am a heterosexual male of trans experience. That's how I describe myself. Nice. I have, I went back to school much later in life, and when I originally went back to school, I thought I was going to end up in public policy, and I was going to major in history, and I thought that's where I would end up, that's what I would teach. Um, when I got to CCNY in 2017, because I graduated KBCC with my, uh, with my associates, um... I thought when I got to CCNY, I was just going to do my thing, and that was going to be it. And um, went and auditioned, because I went to a major's minor meeting uh, for the department, and I auditioned. And once I auditioned, I got cast as the as uh, Ezekiel Cheever in The Crucible. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then I got cast as the chief inspector in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Then I got cast as the mysterious man and the narrator in Into the Woods. So, 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 change is your buddy. Change is your yeah. buddy here. You, you have you have taken a, a massive step uh, in in changing your entire life on one level. Now, now you went you went uh, from one life. Now you are a husband, a father. And an artist. Yes, and I love being, and I love all of the above. Um, being dad gives me a certain amount of uh, play with my sons. My sons, respectively, are 23 and 25. One's <laughs> a uh, Afghanistan uh, war veteran, uh, Special Forces Tier 1 operator. The other one is, uh, actually wants to be a chef. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. It's just, it's it's it almost it almost seems like a perfect comedy line. Okay, one is a, is a, is an op and it's a, a, a warrior, and the other wants to be a chef. Yeah, it is, and it, it is because it, it definitely keeps me on my toes and keeps me balanced. I can tell you that. Um, and being a husband, well, you know, when you have a partner with a chronic condition like MS. Mm-hmm. It changes who you are on a on a real level. I mean, probably the best thing that's happened to me professionally since I started theater is I wrote a play about mine and Debbie's journey with regard to my transition. And um, I was kind of blown away when my professor, you know, because Dr. Potts, Dr. Kathleen Potts every year takes a certain group of us and she asks us what we would like to do with this, so we start working on these plays almost as independent study. And during my time working on it, um, she looked at me one day on, um, on October 3rd and looked at me and said, so Lester, I was wondering, would you like to do a staged reading of your play? And I was like, what? Huh? What? <laughs> because I will admit, because 
the more your work gets out there, the more people begin to criticize it. Uh, yeah. So there's a so there's a lot of letting go of the work. You know, you have to kind of sort of like, okay, I can let go of this, and and take the criticism you get as a playwright from a place of they're just trying to help you make the work better. Do you think you're more equipped to handle something like that? Because we all, I, the amount of actors I speak to, and they range from, from someone gives them crit- criticism and they go, yeah, whatever, that's their opinion, all the way through to those who are quick if they get a bad review. Do you think, because of the strength of character you have in terms of, of your own journey, do you think you were more equipped to be in the arts, to, to hear other people's opinion? I think I can hear other people's opinion, and I think... I'm able to discern when it's coming from a place of genuine, I want to help you make your art better. And when it's coming from a place of just, I don't care and I don't like who you are and I don't like what you represent and therefore I'm going to just mess with you to mess with you. And I think there are two different things. There are two. One comes from a place where it's a genuine desire to make the art better and make the actor better. And another one comes from a place of insecurity on the other person's part. And you have to know what's yours and what's not. Oh, and completely. To do that, to do that sometimes, you have to listen to what everybody says and then take some time away from yourself. One of the things I can tell you is as much as I am a people person, being in theater requires me a lot of alone time to take care of self. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, so how how are you dealing with this kind of isolation? Do you have? Uh, do you are, are you savoring the alone time? Do you? Uh, I, I know many people who suddenly they're, they're in their garden. They're they're writing. They're writing their magnum opus. Uh, you talk about how you need alone time. Are are you getting it? Um, so I get my alone time because I'm teaching myself to play the guitar. <laughs> it's always been a dream of mine. So I have a, a guitar chord book. And I practice my chords every day as a left-handed individual. It's an interesting combination because I actually strum left-handed. And I got myself um, a Yamaha keyboard. And after I'm done with the guitar, I'm going to teach myself how to play piano. So that's how I'm spending my time in addition to redoing furniture around the house. Wow. Because I'm just, I need one... Just because I'm alone doesn't mean I don't need to be creative. Interesting. So, so this isolation for you is a time of creativity. It doesn't have to be you're going to write Gone with the Wind. You, it's it's at least a time when you must keep the brain going. You you can't just wait. Yeah, I can't wait because we don't know when we'll all be on stage together again. As Dan Lane Williams, you know, he's my photographer. He put this beautiful. Um, meme on Facebook about the light on the stage and why we leave it there. And we leave it there because there's always someone else in the house and it's meant to tell people we'll be back. And yes, um, we will be back. It's going to take a hot minute, but we will be back. And you know what? When we come back, I don't, as an actor, I can tell you this. I will never, ever complain about a rehearsal <laughs> a healthy ever again because I now know what it's like to be denied that. You know, as, as an actor in college, you, um, you're you at rehearsal from 6 to 10, sometimes Monday through Friday, sometimes Monday through Saturday. And 
you all and you know we all have the infamous hell through which we have to journey. And Tech Sunday is exactly what Tech Sunday is. It's 13, 14 hours of hell. But I don't think, given what we've been through now, there will ever be another actor or stage manager who takes that opportunity for granted and complains. I mean, yeah, we might complain five, ten years down the line again. But for those of us who had to live through this, there will be the, the, there will be almost like um, a savoring of a hell week. Oh, I can't wait to get to Tech Week. You know? I, I think you're right. I think outwardly we're all going to still complain. Oh, my God, when do I get my break? But deep inside, we're just going to be thankful that, that there are people at least six feet from us. Yep. Um, yep. To that point, we're going to be happy. So let's, let's uh, as you say, when, uh, when, we get, when we get out of this, so let's, let's, use, let's use the word of the day transition again. Okay. Uh, where are we going to be? When the lights come back on and the curtain goes up, what's out there? What do you what do you foresee this doing to the theater? I see the theater innovating once again and figuring out how to make more room for more people in ways that we did. And and I'm not talking in conciliatory ways, mm-hmm. like real real kind of ways where we learn how to work with folks who truly are different from us. Whether they're in transition, whether they have a, a, a psychiatric label, whether they have autism, whether they're mute, whether it, it won't matter. There'll be such a, a desire and a thirst and a quench, and they're going to want to quench that thirst that they're going to see the world through a whole different lens. I mean, I was at a place where I wrote Ercole and Megara, A Couple's Journey, which is about my transition with my wife, Debbie, and our, our relationship, and what we each go through as I transition physically, mm-hmm. and mentally and emotionally. I mean, people have often said to me that um, Megara's monologue is even more compelling sometimes than Ercole's because people tend to forget that, well, I guess I am in transition. Absolutely. I'm the one going through all the physical stuff. Mm-hmm. My wife was definitely in transition emotionally. Mm-hmm. Being read from, from being seen as a lesbian woman to all of a sudden now she's read as a heterosexual woman. Well, there's you an know, irony. My, yeah. And, and, you know, as, as you know, McGarra speaks in her monologue, the, the illusion of testicles quickly divorced her in ways that nothing ever could. So, you know, this is kind of sort of like, that's what I mean by the room for more voices. I mean, everyone has said to me who reads, who has heard the monologues has said to me that, one, I can't touch a word of those, but has always said to me that my wife's journey is almost more compelling than my own. My reason for doing it and writing it the way I did in writing two protagonists is I felt it was very important to tell Debbie's story of what that's like. It is as much and, a transition. Yeah, because she doesn't transition, I do. And all of a sudden, you know, she she talks about things, we talk about things in my play like walking into the store together and then immediately deferring to me. Because <laughs> it appears that I have, some, you know, because I have some mutton chops and, 
I have I have the appearance that I actually have a paratestical. Right, right. Whether or not I do is immaterial, but the fact that I appear to is the, is the is why. It's all about what we see I, in this world. Yeah, and then, so that's what's kind of funny because usually nine times out of ten, especially if we're dealing with technology, I make people's heads hurt. They look at me like they're going to seize. And then I look at them and realize that I'm hurting their head. And I go, wait a minute, this is above my pay grade. I have to go get my wife. And she comes in and she settles it and she does. She tells them what they need. And then I stand there and go, don't speak deep. So, yeah, just the illusion of what appears to be is what is one of the reasons why I wrote I wrote it the way I did because I felt very strongly that um, a lot of the times most women can handle when when a lesbian couple and one chooses to undergo this kind of transition, most lesbian couples can handle the testosterone. They can even handle the histo. They usually can handle top surgery to a degree. But once you start to have the the, the discussion around bottom surgery, which is basically what that journey that they have is about, but the emotional upheaval of the partner's life that's never ever discussed and or validated is the reason why I wrote the play the way I did. I mean, when I came home and Dr. Kathleen Cox had said to us in playwriting once, something like about something you care, something having to do with your own life. I knew exactly what I wanted to write about. And oh, as sure. I wrote about it, I wrote about, you know, what Debbie went through as well. And everyone had said to me that what what they, they you know, I have a, a dance professor named Jill Valerie. And um, she said, Lester, because she had come to hear my stage reading, she says to me that Monday morning, she goes, Lester, I love you. But... Not for nothing, I feel for Debbie more than I ever did before. I love Debbie, and I and I validated that because you really don't understand Debbie's journey till you've walked a mile in her moccasins. And I feel like the reason these relationships fall apart is because they don't have the validation. People say they're usually the partners. I remember what they used to say to Debbie in the beginning. Oh, just lay back and enjoy the ride. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Not so much. I, I was going to say, I don't know if I'd call it fun. Right. Um, okay, so here's, here's the big uh, transition question now. Uh, we've spoken about yours. We've spoken about your transition in terms of your life, in terms of your art, in terms of your relationship. Uh, you have given us uh, your hypotheses of the future. So now, you being a master of transition, uh, how do we transition? We now and and you gave us a wonderful outlook that we all have to we have to look upon the whole world differently now. How do we get there, O oh Master of Transition? How do we get to that? What would you tell the world to do right now, or at least New York? I would first tell New York to take a deep breath and count eight and let it out slowly. I would then tell New York to understand not only are we in a period of transition, but there is now a new normal. Because part of what we're going to have to ask ourselves is, 
do we really want the extra five bucks or do we want to go home and cuddle with our wife mm-hmm. or our dog? Or is there a baseball game that my son is playing in that I need to get to instead? Tomorrow's promise to no one. And if anything, you know, we, we got people dying in hospitals by themselves. Think about that for a minute. We have people who are literally being kept from holding on to a loved one as they're taking their last breath. Now, that doesn't make you pause and ask yourself, what else is there and how do I want to live my life? I don't know what to tell you. I can't help you. But I do know this, you know, for me at least, if we're going to have a new normal, then part of that new normal is also that people don't have to work three jobs just to make ends meet. There has to be some balance here, and we haven't had that. And that's been the largest issue above them all. So, and that's 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 the toughest part. So basically, you're you're telling us all to just to just chill out. It's now time to, you know, if we can't go outside, we can at least open up the window and appreciate what we see. Absolutely. I mean, any, any, I'll tell you what, you want to know what this is like, this kind of quarantine? This is like being on an inpatient psychiatric ward where everything now is relegated and regulated. And the only thing that there is to do is eat and sleep. And you feel as if you're doing nothing and your life is being wasted. And that's why, for me, I do the home projects. The refinishing of the wood, the the painting of my apartment, making wonderful meals with my wife and my son, and learning how to play PS4 games that I've never picked up a, a video game in my life. That's why I do it, because it's a time for me to learn. And if I don't do that, well, honest, we are a kind of weird neurotic bunch. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll slip into, and what I fear for all of us is that we'll slip into some kind of deep, dark, black abyss from which we're not able to pull ourselves out. And that's the scariest part of all. So to prevent that, for me, I learn new things. So for you, basically, now's the time not to worry about anything, but as long as you're a husband and father, you might as well simply be one. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I can't do anything else but be a husband and a dad right now. I can't be an actor. I can't really be... I mean, I work on my play. Don't get me wrong. I'm in my editing process. I do all those things that I'm supposed to do. Absolutely. Can't do anything else. However, that said, I need my balance. And without my balance, what's going to happen? So I'm going to then get back out there and be as drained as when we went in. So maybe what That's we all what need to do is stop worrying about everything and just, as long as we can't do anything, take that moment and realize who the hell we are. Let me lovingly and chidingly say this. President Cuomo, okay? <laughs> I can, all right. President Cuomo <laughs> has made it very clear to all of us. The virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. It doesn't run on a government, on a governmental time frame. It doesn't do what the government tells it to do. So, if that's the case, then the only thing I can do is to 
control my reaction to what I need to do. The only thing I have control of is me. Well said. Lester, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to speak thank to you. I haven't you. spoken to you in a million years. Uh, glad to hear you're doing well. Glad to hear you are in an upward uh, mobility and that when those doors are open, you're, you're the same, you're same level-headed guy that I remember from years ago. Well, the only thing I want to do is work with you now. <laughs> I want my shot to work with you now. Well, the, the moment we can have an audition, whether it's video or not, I know who I'm calling. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just won't ever forget you that day. I walked in and I did the whole thing on how to swing a golf club. You looked at me and said, you gush when you're up there. I was like, eh. you know, I, and then it never occurred to me what you were trying to tell me then. But I, now I get it. I have to remember to, I, I have to remember people listen to me, so I have to be careful on to what I say. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of us actually, when we're in your class, actually are vested in paying attention to what you have to say. Okay, well that just put me in a paranoid mood. Okay. Okay, I love you. Dude, love you too. Thank you so much. Uh, all the Thank best you. to you and Debbie and the whole family. Uh, uh, make a gorgeous apartment, make a gorgeous life, and then and then go out there and, and, and take over the world. Always a pleasure. Right, I will. I'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Ciao. All right, bye-bye.